Hello, welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast. I'm Neil Phillips. And I'm Victoria Hillman. And we've got a bit of a hodgepodge episode. It's an episode number 10. We've lasted to double figures. <laughs> Thank and you everyone to, that stuck with us this far. Yeah, yeah, quite a few of you by looks of things. The downloads are up to 4,395, which is pretty good for 10 episodes. It's really good. Really good. Uh, and our, our social media is doing well. Facebook is up to 310. And today, thank you very much to, to Elliot for being our 200th follower on Twitter. So going up gradually, which is fantastic. So big thank you to everybody that's been kind of following us and getting in touch as well and, and interacting with us. Yeah, I've had a bit more of that this last week. We're all locked down in our houses pretty much. I have had one nice wildlife sighting I've been as I'm working from home I'm starting making some videos of you know things you can do with the kids or yourself at home so I'll share the links to those when they're up and the first one about mini beasts I've pretty much finished should be uploaded around the same time the podcast so I'll put a link to that somewhere but while filming I came across a false widow spider a huge great female taking out a queen wasp which was a quite a nice <laughs> quite an impressive wow. thing to see yeah, Sounds amazing. That's one of the great battles of nature, spider versus wasp, sting versus fangs. Yes, very much so. Well, actually, I have to admit this last week, I think we've been been actually very lucky with the weather this last week and Mm. the warmth and the sunshine has definitely started bringing stuff out. I I did briefly see a brimstone butterfly. Um, It was quite a windy afternoon, so it kind of whizzed past my eyes, but it was unmistakable (laughs) as a brimstone butterfly. Dark-edged bee flies. Started to see them in the garden this week and actually seen a lot of people now on social media saying they've seen them. And the spiders are becoming very active in my garden right now, along with the ants. Uh, so my first zebra jumping spider this week as well. well so it's all starting to come back to life, which I think is fantastic right now. Just what we need. Yeah, I've got loads of wolf spiders running around my garden. I love those. There's a few little solitary bee hoverfly things, but none of them sat still long enough for me to work out what they are yet. Oh, we did. We did do a bee rescue at the weekend. Actually, no, over a week now. We did a bee rescue. We found it on the driveway. wasn't looking too happy, so escorted it to the back garden and seemed to recover and, and disappear, which is good. Yes, I should mention we're doing a recording in a daytime, and you've already just heard my daughter there walking past. <laughs> <laughs> We've got quite a lot of news stories and follow-up for a change, so that's quite good. Our first shout-out is to Megan Shersby. It was her birthday a couple of days ago. So happy birthday, Megan. Happy birthday. Hope you had a, a lovely day, um, yeah. despite the situation. It's actually made some, an awesome cake. If you look on Twitter, it's quite fun, actually. That is, that is an amazing cake, isn't it? I saw that. <laughs> My friend Graham has sent, or friend of the show, I should say, has sent an audio message in about a recording of a wren in his garden. So we'll just listen to that now. Hi, Neil. Hi, Victoria. Graham from Naturally Curious UK here. You were kind enough to spend a fair bit of time in episode three answering my question about how to get adults interested in wildlife. So thanks for that. Towards the end of episode nine, you were asking for people to send in recordings that they'd made, perhaps in their garden during the coronavirus lockdown. So I thought I'd send you this recording of a wren. I love wrens. They're so tiny, but they're so loud. And uh, this one was in the bush down the end of my garden near the shed. And when it first started singing, and I was about a third of the way down, and then you hear it make a little squeak as it flies past me and lands in the cotoneaster bush just next to me and I get a really nice clear loud recording of its song so uh, check this out hope you enjoy it thanks for your podcasts I've been enjoying every last one of them cheers guys
Thanks for that, Graham. Nice little recording there. And we had a fantastic bit of feedback from our last episode. We had an email from Jeff on the mole topic, especially their control. So a few things he's mentioned is that golf courses aren't that great for them, but with the watering, the edges can be raised areas around the greens can be quite good for them. They're not technically pests or vermin. They're just a nuisance. It's because they don't damage crops and foodstuffs. And these days, farmers tend to cut high to avoid the mole hills. So the actual number of mole catchers has actually fallen. But he does sadly point out that pest controllers are not really that well regulated and the gas they use does not really work. And the regulation on this gas should be looked into because he says it's probably used illegally. And the regulations are ignored. There's this whole thing that I think you pointed out last time, didn't you? Um, that the pest control industry is self-regulating, so basically not regulated at all, really. Yeah. One interesting thing he did write as well was live trapping is actually more inhumane and you're not actually allowed to let them go unless you know they'll do well where you let them go. So the guidance is they must be humanely dispatched, which is interesting. I did not know that. It's weird it didn't come up in our research as well. If you think it would. Yeah. But... yeah. Yeah. yeah, he says there needs to be more regulations and DEFRA could make a huge impact on this. So thanks very much, Jeff. That's some really useful information there. Uh, I'll check with him, but I might put his email actually up on the blog post so people can have a read, I think, because it's really well, good. Well, he, he's given us his website as well for anyone yeah. that oh, yes. um, wants to have a have a look and learn a little bit more about moles, and that is molewatchlive.com. Yeah. I'll put that in as a link put so you link can in. actually... And if you've got any feedback like that on any of the topics we cover, please do get in touch. Because we do our best to, to research stuff, but you know, if you're an expert, you're going to know more than we do on the subject. Definitely. And I can honestly say that we are not experts on moles. Yeah, um, but, You know, we're, <laughs> we, we do our very best. So if you yeah. can't, you know, if you do have anything that comes up, then like Neil said, do just let us know and we'll uh, we'll mention it in, in the next episode. So I think it's time to move on to the news. I don't think there's any more follow-up feedback that I can remember. Got a few uh, questions. Do we want to do questions yeah. or news let's go with news first I let's think. go news first the first bit of news i think i got this through um, steve alan uh, who was on our toad episode there's a new paper out by heinberg et al and it basically looks at great crested newts and how to age them based on their coloration and their morphological traits because if you just measure growth it gives you a rough guide of how old they are but obviously ones in good environments will grow quicker than uh, ones in a poorer environment it's quite an interesting paper to have a read through it's quite an important thing to know how old your population is when you're looking at conserving and just studying the species. So our next bit of news is actually a, a really good news story, actually. And this is the creation of the UK's first super national nature reserve. And this will be created in Dorset. Seven landowners have joined force to create the largest lowland heathland nature reserve in the UK. Uh, it's a really rich kind of complex landscape, mosaic of different habitats, that is home to some really important flora and fauna, um, some very rare species as well. So I think this is absolutely fantastic news. Uh, I think it's it's great that you've got seven different landowners that are coming together to protect this this area as well. And I actually used to live down in Dorset, probably not too far actually from where, where this nature reserve is being created. And it is an amazing place and I think it does definitely need protecting. So it's fantastic news that these uh, landowners have come together to create this this massive kind of super nature reserve yeah it's fantastic i, I love Arn. so that whole landscape is it's fantastic if anyone has never been down there it's well worth a visit really nice top site for raft spiders so it's always gonna be in my uh <laughs> i hope on my list of good places uh next story is not such a great one there was a fire in marsden in yorkshire which was on a grouse moor it got out of control and ended up i think it was a mile long fire going on and all this is 
traffic of the lockdown have been declared, but I think it was last weekend. So at least a partial lockdown have been declared. And this was a supposedly controlled fire. This isn't, you know, someone having a barbecue and getting out of fire. This is a purposely set off fire. It's all to do with burning off the old heather to get fresh heather. So there's more heather for the red grouse to feed on to boost the numbers so you can shoot them, etc. It's not a particularly responsible thing to do because even these control fires, as in this example, it shows get out of control. And he had Nick Smith, the assistant chief fire officer with West Yorkshire Fire and Rescue Service. He said that it could have so easily been avoided and he's called on the landowners to change their ways. His direct quote is, controlled burning can easily spread and tackling the consequences takes up a huge amount of the fire service's time and resources. More than fires can quite literally go on for miles and days. And he went on to say, these are unprecedented times and we require resources to support communities and help the vulnerable rather than having firefighters tied up for days and wars undertaking this kind of arduous work. Some of us locked up in our houses and they're out there using it as a time to go and do all this sort of stuff, which is just unbelievable, really, if you ask me. Interestingly, though, I did have one troll on my Facebook page come on and have a go at me for daring to criticise them. And he didn't seem to like it when I pointed out it was the fire chief <laughs> criticising them, not me. But it, it sort of highlights this this practice is questionable at the best of times but at the moment got, it's just yeah. something that needs to not be done you know our resources are stretched enough as it is i've yeah. been following colin innes he's the co-host of the critter shed podcast that i recommended i think it was the last episode episode before and a similar things going on in ireland as well people are taking advantage and i've seen various stories of hedges being grabbed up and stuff like that people are taking advantage of no one being around to do stuff that's a bit uh, questionable, shall we say, and sometimes illegal. Yeah. HS2, there's, that was in the news again. They're going to do a lot of the work in next month, supposedly, um, April, when we're in lockdown, when there's no unnecessary work. They're going to start getting rid of mature woodland. And people pointed out it's very convenient that there'll be no one there to protest and stop them. We do, we do have another news story, and I think I think this is our last one, isn't it, Neil, about toads? So we've left this one to last because it... I think it does coincide quite nicely with a question from a friend of the show, Alan James, who said, you know, with the travel ban and the lockdown, could this be a good thing for wildlife? Now, interestingly, I've actually I've seen a lot of uh, so with the tow patrols and and not just in this country, actually, I've seen some really interesting footage of people seeing wild boar wandering down the centre of Barcelona. Uh, I think mm-hmm. there was a civet in the centre of one of the cities in India. You know, the wildlife is definitely, I think, you know, taking advantage, really. Yeah. But back in the UK, see, this time of year, we've got frogs and toads migrating. And I think frogs have pretty much bred now. Toads are still migrating in some areas of the country. And there was some news that actually came out to say that the Yorkshire fell runs have been cancelled this year. And these are the cancellation of races in West Yorkshire, uh, and they've been cancelled due to the coronavirus. The the kind of plus side of that is that they've apparently saved hundreds of migrating toads from being squashed underfoot. Now, reading into this, um, there's there's quite a, a lot, so I won't go into all of it. But a local toad protection group have actually said in previous years, hundreds of toads have been trampled by the fell runners as the route takes place. It actually goes past one of the main breeding ponds. So, you know, the, these groups are doing amazing jobs up there. Thank you for that. And you know, but what what they're saying now is that because these fell runs are cancelled, the toads are actually more protected and they're not being crushed by runners. And with some of these these runs, I'm not saying particularly these these ones, but I know with some of the fell runs and the cross country runs, you do get a huge number of people going through very quickly, and you know it's it's, it's mm. uneven ground, and they're running and the feet are kind of going everywhere. They're not looking where they step. So there there are some plus sides to this. Yes, 
you know, we, we are all in lockdown for obvious reasons. This needs to happen right now. But it's actually giving our wildlife a bit of breathing space and a little protection. And, you know, maybe when we come out of this, we can learn some lessons from this as mm. to how we can continue to protect this. But just thought it was a really interesting news story that came up um, about, you know, with the fell runs being cancelled. It's actually a, a good news story for the toads. And I've seen quite a lot very on that kind of path that for quite a few tow patrols now they're saying with a lot less cars on the road yeah the, the toads can now cross safely and you know, yeah. there's a lot less casualties uh, at this time of year which, which yeah. is fantastic interesting there's an article in the guardian website and there's a quote i've got here from naturalist matthew Oak. he's comparing it to the 2001 foot and mouth crisis where you basically banned from the countryside weren't you in a lot of places mm. it says when we move out Obviously, nature moves in. Dog prints and dog feces have gone, and they're now fox and weasel prints instead, which is <laughs> that last line. Been something I've been thinking along the lines of. There, there are some concerns now. They've got in Essex, we've got like one pair of little terns because there's so much disturbance on the beach in summer. All these beach breeding species have no room basically they're very vulnerable to disturbance from dogs even the dogs don't directly damage the nest or idiots just trampling through them don't they flush the parent birds predators work out where the nest is and predate it and obviously the more you knock down the colony in size the more vulnerable they are because obviously if you've got a big group nesting together they can fight off predators and they're noticing that there's oyster catchers nesting on these beaches i think they didn't breed on one beach in norfolk last year and they've already started coming back so it could be a boom here depending on when the lockdown stops because if the lockdown stops in the middle of the breeding season all these birds will be breeding in the middle of paths right near them where people you know right where people normally walk in it's normally busy and of course as soon as that lockdown goes we're all going to go streaming out of houses straight to the beach straight to nature's earth i know i certainly will i'm not blaming anyone for that but the birds won't have nested to avoid this so it, it could either be a fantastic boom year or it could be an absolutely horrible one where most of the birds fail because they've nested in the wrong place but hopefully if they fledge their chicks to the point where they can move them those species should be okay hopefully like the wading birds and stuff hopefully the eggs would have hatched by the time i want to wish for us to stay inside longer but <laughs> it's, it's, it's always a bit of a conundrum for me that one do we stay longer and protect all these birds and it could give them a, a sort of a break here just to boost their numbers you never know but i guess we'll find out by the end of the year it's downside as well a lot of the monitoring is reliant on volunteers and we can't get out and monitor things i know i can't do my newt surveys i normally do i'm, uh, I'm not doing my toad surveys um, yeah. that I would normally do and actually the adder surveys as well I'm not doing any of that now yeah. I'm hoping my dragonfly surveys will be okay in July doubt I'll be able to do a larvae survey I did literally the day before the lockdown pop over to the nature reserve I survey dragonflies on and the water level is fantastic every temporary pond and ditch is full to the brim so every egg that's been laid in there by southern migrant hawkers and scarce emerald damselflies and all those sorts of species are gonna hatch and if i can get over them in july <laughs> oh yes it's something to look forward to hopefully that they are saying now hopefully by july we'll, we'll be able to get out in some form hopefully but or june i think they were saying but let's not count our chickens yet because it seems to be very fluid or it could be you know it could be a summer worth waiting for we'll see what it happens it could be could yeah. certainly be that so but i think that actually wraps up our new stories so for episode 10, we thought we would kind of do something a little bit different and especially with the lockdown and the way that it is now. So we put put it out there to our viewers, our, our, viewers, our listeners, mm. um, to basically say, is there anything that you might like to hear from us about that, you know, might help? And 
It's actually quite a few people. So we've had Sarah Marshall on Twitter, Dan Connors and Adrian Sheriff on Facebook, pretty much along the similar lines. So Sarah was asking about wildlife that we can see at home, like mini garden safaris and, and stuff like that. And Dan suggested what we should or shouldn't be doing in our gardens right now in terms of wildlife gardens. So this isn't, you know, in terms of our you know, gardening per se, but as wildlife gardens. And Adrian um, actually agreed with that as well. So we thought we'd come up with some ideas of what you can do if you have a garden. It doesn't matter whether it's a big or small garden. If you just have a little space, you know, some some ideas maybe for that as well. So we've kind of put together some ideas that hopefully will help you through this this lockdown period. It, it will help take your mind off things a little bit. And it would actually help encourage more wildlife into your garden, you know, no matter what size it is. OK, so there's lots and lots of different options here. So I think maybe let's start small and work up in terms of, of garden size. So if you've got, say you don't have a balcony and you um, you don't have a garden, but maybe you've got a balcony. One thing you can do is you can get some some pots, some some flower pots and you can actually plant wildflower seeds or plant you know flowers plants in those and put them on your balcony and there's actually there's a company called Seedball and I've used them before and you know had some great success with them in in my garden but they actually do one now which is a plant life mix and this includes five native wildflowers that are most likely to thrive in gardens where soil is more nutrient rich so a lot of our wildflowers tend to survive better in nutrient poor soils but this one's um, kind of been put together to really, with gardens in mind, to put native wildflowers back into our gardens. But you can do those in pots. They're really, really easy to grow. You just need, you know, some compost in there, some peat-free compost, I will say. And you just put them in top, on the top, give them a bit of water and watch them come to life. There's some great, if you actually pop on their website, there's actually some really good um, good ideas on there, like using old tin cans that you might be able to attach to, to a wall on the side of your house yeah so if you've got like a little balcony then you know that there's some great ideas there on what you can do so just popping out you know a couple of planters with some wildflowers in and with a lot of them they're still doing their mail order so even though we're on lockdown it's still possible to actually order them online so you can still get your hands on them and now's actually a really really good time to to be looking at starting that so that's kind of if you've got a little balcony if we step up to a small garden do you want to take that one Neil yeah so you can I've got a little small garden and you can sort of basically upgrade from the pots you can still do the pots obviously put them on your patio I've basically took a corner of my lawn I uh, took up all the turf and just like with the pots I got hold of some wild seed mix and I forget which company I used but they did a they did a mix for clay soils a mix for sandy soils and I got the clay soil one because I'm in Essex and it's full of <laughs> full of London clay where I am turned it over and that way so you can plant the seeds among the grass but to get sort of an instant effect I put down the clay soil wildflower mix and I also bought a cornflower mix so that's got poppies and cornflower and you know kind of thing and they will flower the first year really some of that stuff should have been i mean the cornflower mix will probably flower if you put it in now i reckon you can put down the wildflower mix and that should come up next year hopefully or might start sprouting some of these species need to be cold treated so you can put them in the fridge for a couple of weeks but if you do that you might run out of time 
read the uh, different species. You can look on the internet, there's loads of stuff. One thing I always recommend people do, other than the pond thing, which we might come to later, if you've got some bamboo kicking around the garden, you can cut it into sort of 10, 15 centimetre lengths, put it in a bundle, and then put it on a wall or a shed that's south-facing or east-facing, so it's nice and sunny, 50 centimetres off the ground, and you'll get solitary bees coming into your garden, and they're just amazing to watch. They don't sting. And they're fantastic pollinators, they're actually better than honeybees they found. And the one I get in my garden is the red mason bee. They're about just over a centimetre long and really nice orangey colours. That's a nice one to put in there. And of course, that also house sort of spiders and stuff like that. It's where I saw that a queen wasp fighting a false widow spider. I have a set of about five or six of them on my shed wall. I've built a little frame out of old pallet wood. Four or five of these bamboo bee hotels, I want to call them. But I've also put some blocks of wood some old logs and like the corners from the pallet in and i've drilled holes of different sizes in the wood as well and also you can leave an area of clear soil it's more sort of sandy soil generally if you leave a clear area and you get the burrowing solitary bees going in there as well and various animals like to sunbathe on bare soil too so yeah and like a log pile as well it's also a nice thing to have nearby so just having a little wild corner in your garden it can be absolutely fantastic it's amazing what you'll get in there Pumps. and just an yeah, ponds. I'll let, do you know what? I'll let you do the ponds. Oh, okay. I'm be nice. <laughs> um, so the other option that you've got, and you don't need a big garden. I've I've spoken to a lot of people, and they're saying, oh, I I want to put a pond in, but I've only got a really small garden. You know, we actually only have a small garden here. Our pond is about a meter by a meter, roughly. Um, but they don't even need to be that big. So there's some really amazing videos online for if you search washing up bowl pond, garden pond. Mm. Um, so the square washing up bowls. I've seen some people create some lovely little, you know, garden ponds. And all you do is you just sink it into the ground if you can, or you can just build up around it. And you really don't need very much. So, you, you know, like a, a washing up bowl, some stones and some twigs and that so that animals can get in and out. If you can get hold of some oxygenating plants, that's also really helpful. But it's amazing how... Make just sure a, they're native ones. Yes, make sure they're native. <laughs> but again, if you go online, you it's really quite easy to find where to buy native oxygenating mm-hmm. plants. And I think what we'll do is, certainly on our Facebook and our Twitter pages, we, we will actually put some links up there for mm. you to have a look at. It won't be an exhaustive list, but it will be a starting point. Yeah, I've, I'll put up a link at Wild and Wetland Trust about a month ago. I think I did share it on my f- Twitter and Facebook at the time, certainly the Pond Man one. A brilliant design. It's basically one of those old, you know, a plastic container and you stick it at the bottom of your rain pipe, drain pipe, or the overflow from your water butt. And of course, that tops it up with rainwater, which is what you want. Makes you fill it with rainwater. But they also had sort of, you could do an overflow from the pond into another container that's in your bog garden and so on. And it, and it, of course, there's a double whammy of stopping all the water when it rains flowing straight down the drain, which causes flooding downstream and also creates a fantastic little habitat. Great little things. I've got a little container pond on top of. In fact, one of the videos I'll be doing for work will be how to make one of those, I think. So uh, I'll put a link to that up when that comes as well. Yeah, so. that'd be really good. And and these are all small mm. things that you can do. You can you can buy anything that you need online. So you don't, obviously, you know, going out is not an option right now. It's definitely not considered your essential shop. Yeah, but all this stuff you can actually buy online from various places. And actually, if you have a look around, you never know, you might have some stuff lurking in garages, attics, Mm. in cupboards under the sink and stuff like that. So it's all little things that you can do. And one thing that I'd suggest, it's something that we've kind of looked at and we're actually looking at redoing our garden anyway, uh, is doing it gradually you don't need to go out and absolutely blitz it in two days we've got another two weeks minimum where we're going to be on lockdown so maybe just start building it up gradually do a little bit each Mm -hmm. day 
and set aside maybe say right I'm going to go and do half an hour an hour in my garden and again I mean you know if you put the pond in it, you'll be amazed at how many creatures particularly mini beasts or invertebrates will actually come and drink from that so if we get a yeah. hot spring or a hot summer you know you, you have wasps and flies and everything coming down and actually using that as well so if you have a make it like a shallower area you, you can even do this if you just get a whole load of pebbles and put them in a, a plant pot tray with some rainwater in so they've got something to rest on while drinking so they don't drown which is really important but the wildlife will come and you can just sit there and you know whether you just love wildlife whether you want to photograph it so photographically, these can become wonderful little like mm. garden photographic safari adventures, you know, during this time. Yeah, there is so much that you that you can do. So I think, you know, if you if you can and you have the space and you're able to putting in just a little wildlife pond would actually be a massive addition to, to kind of any garden, really. Yeah. Yeah, you'll get the birds coming down. I've, I've I modified I had to modify my pond. Oh, was that about a month ago? I had to take the liner out and put it back in again because it got polluted and there was a hole in the corner and I had to move it around. Um, I managed to put another hole in it <laughs> in another <laughs> corner. So. And obviously, I had a population of frogs already, so I had to quickly do it in a hurry. By the way, I've I've actually mentioned the news. I've got at least twelve clumps of frogs born in my not very big pond, so it's going to be quite interesting soon. And they're hatching anytime now so it's going to be quite fun in my pond um i'll be watching the blackbirds hoover up the tadpoles i think shortly mentioning the blackbirds i, I put a shallow area in uh, at the back and yeah the pigeons blackbirds magpies sparrows everything's been coming down having a drink from it this morning just looking as i was eating my breakfast it was amazing to see well i, um, I actually um i've decided because as it probably won't come to any surprise to people that know me hmm. my pond really is there for the frogs um, that hmm. is why i built it uh, it's there for the frogs and they're my priority mm. now i i did actually i saw a palmate newt in my garden uh the other week when it was actually quite it was quite damp and rainy overnight and i know you know i've had damselflies in the pond and everything but what i actually do during the day now to stop the birds accessing the pond is i i actually just have a piece of netting that goes over and it's secured over the pond during the day but so the birds still have somewhere that they can drink and wash if they want. I actually have a couple of plant pot trays mm. that I yeah. fill up with rainwater so they can use those to drink and bathe in. So they still have access to that water. They're just not doing it in, in the frog pond. And then at nighttime, once it's dark, I actually go out and this has become a bit of a ritual now. I go out in the mm -hmm. evening and I, I take the netting off. So yeah, any, any of the amphibians and that, that need to access the pond, they can. Um, generally speaking, I don't see them out during the day, especially not at the moment, uh, anyway. So mine are know, very the, nocturnal too. <laughs> you, so you can actually, you know, you can do that, and that way, you know, I keep the pond and my little tadpoles in there are safe. They're not going to get hoovered up by the birds, but the birds still have somewhere to bathe. Yeah. And actually, one of them just happens to be right next to where I appear to have a rather large ant's nest. So they've basically got a drinking, <laughs> drinking and bathing supply right next to a food supply. Uh, which wasn't planned there's a whole list of plants you can plant that'd be good even just leaving part of your lawn to grow long you don't have to plant anything you don't have to do anything with it just leave it like a strip along the edge or the last two meters of the lawn at the end of your garden You'd be amazed what turns up in there we're lucky we actually have a front and a back garden where we are and our front garden i've actually sown with wildflower seeds native wildflower seeds and that I only cut that once a year. It actually, it did get cut last year, just about. But, 
you know, that's completely left. And the amount of life that I see on our front lawn compared to that of our neighbours who cut their lawns religiously is absolutely incredible. Mm. And actually in the back now, I mean, to I don't generally cut the lawn in the back. We don't really feel the need to have a beautifully manicured lawn. We'd rather have, you know, the life and the invertebrates in there. And actually, if you do, if you have like a medium to large size garden and you like to grow your own maybe fruit and veg actually having those wild wild areas and maybe putting in a wildflower patch it will help attract more invertebrates into your garden which will actually help pollinate your food crops so there's, there's a real kind of positive kind of loop there and it actually last predators year, in, doesn't it as well it does attract the predators in i mean last year we had first year we'd really kind of left areas of our, our garden to go wild and actually the wildflower patch did really well last year and we had a bumper crop of strawberries like so many strawberries we genuinely were giving them away because we couldn't eat that many of them you know then because we part of our garden we actually have knapweed a common knapweed and this is great in the summer so you get all your invertebrates come in and feed off it in the summer absolutely love it the birds will then come in it come in and feed off the invertebrates not only that, come the autumn, when they go to seed, the birds will come and feed off the, the seeds of the plants. So my knapweed, I think the most I've ever counted on it, I had about seven goldfinch at one time on my on my knapweed, which was incredible. They would just come in and feed on it. And it's actually a much cheaper way of attracting birds into the garden than buying bird seed. Yeah. Dare I say? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, well, it adds to it, if nothing else, doesn't it? So. It, it does, definitely. And, and I mentioned seed ball earlier. They actually have a bird mix, which has been specifically designed for plants that will attract invertebrates, but then will actually go to seed and will attract birds in to feed off those seeds. So there's some really easy, easy options there to to actually attract the wildlife in. Mm. And one thing I am going to say right now is because this did pop up in my news feed on Twitter earlier, dandelions. Please, please, please leave the dandelions. They're, they're a really, really important food source for a lot of the bees that are coming out of hibernation now. You know, my I only have like three dandelion flowers in the garden right now. But on a sunny day, you know, they're just, the bees come to them. And it's a really, really vital kind of source for them right now. So if you've got dandelions, let them flower. I mean, what I tend to do so I don't end up with a full lawn of dandelions, dandelion flowers is i'll actually let, allow them to flower and then, then when they go to seed i actually just cut the seed heads off before i end up with dandelion seeds absolutely everywhere but please leave them yeah they're, they're a very important early mm. source of nectar aren't they i mean that should give you some things to do the video i've mentioned earlier is uh, how to mini beasts and how to look for mini beasts and a little bit about them so if you've got kids off school and you're homeschooling it might be worth looking at you might want to have a look at it anyway and you can laugh at my hair slowly getting longer as i do them yes yeah, so mini beasts is one thing you do you can i'm going to do one on how to obviously look for stuff in the ponds unsurprisingly how to look at uh, for water bears tardigrade looking at some moss that's one i've got planned so there's something else you can do you'll be amazed what's in your garden once you start looking and if you're looking on twitter and facebook a lot of people are realizing they've been sort of driving around the country looking for wildlife and there's plenty in their back garden yeah and this was actually this was something that i when i first started my forgotten little creatures project and i do actually mention this quite a bit in the book that goes with the first part of the project by the book but yeah by the book um <laughs> is that it's amazing what you can find so close to home and you know in that book there's i've actually there's quite a lot of photos there that are taken in either my garden or my parents garden and you know they're taken in back gardens and it's stuff that we found there there's you know I've, I've put loads of tips and tricks in there as well for anyone 
that wants to help attract more wildlife into their garden. It, you know, the whole idea about that, the start of that project was looking at what you can find on your own doorstep. And I think now a lot of people are really starting to realise just how much life there is there because we are restricted. You are restricted to how far you can go. And if you are going out for your, your daily exercise, you know, you're not allowed to drive somewhere. You have to go from your house. So, you know, have a look under those hedgerows. Have a look in those trees. You'll be absolutely amazed at what's there. You really, really will. Yeah, camp out. Look for a spot where there's a bit of insect activity. You can just camp it out. Get up early and have a look for stuff basking. Go back to our photograph photography podcast um i talked about how to do pond creature photography that's something you could try out another activity you can do i, I think the art of you doing the big breakfast bird watch a bit like the garden bird watch aren't they they so are like, yeah check, check out yeah. their website for that you know i was always say pond dipping don't let the kids have all the fun something if you've got if you've got children it's a great yeah. thing that you can do with your children you will yeah. both enjoy it you know you can both get out there and like i said it really is amazing what you can find and it's it's having that that time as well i think to really stop mm. and appreciate what is actually there and how important our gardens are for our native wildlife be it birds invertebrates mammals i actually i saw a little wood mouse drinking from my pond the other night when i went oh, out wow. you know i was i don't know what who was more shocked me or the mouse to be honest but it was just there drinking you know lives under the decking comes out and just drinking from the pond absolutely amazing never seen a wood mouse here before you know i think with, with the countrysides being quieter and you know wildlife is certainly starting to venture out a little bit more so i think this is hard i mean i no one's denying it the lockdown is going to be mm. very hard on a lot of people but this is a way that maybe we can really help with that you yeah. know and, and nature can really help with that as well and you know just sitting there watching the birds in the morning while you have your breakfast make a note of what you're seeing does it change mm. um you know there's so much you can do Go and find really some woodlice. Woodlice are underrated. They're awesome little things. I don't have to go and find them. They seem to just wander into our house randomly. Yeah, they stopped doing it in my house, mm. which is probably a good thing, really, because they end up dead because it's really dry. <laughs> <laughs> I like woodlice. Don't ask me why. I, d I can't quite put my finger on it, but I think partly it's because they're crustaceans, as in crabs and lobsters, and they live on land. Yes, they are pretty cool. And some of them curl up in balls, which yeah. is rather cool. So and Little trilobites. <laughs> <laughs> so I think... You know, hopefully that's kind of really helped you with some ideas of what you can do in your garden, big or small. I mean, obviously, if you've got a huge garden, you can put in a bigger pond, plant some trees. There's so much more you can do if you have a bigger garden. You know, whether it's just for nature or you want to create, you can create little wildlife nature studios photography studios in your garden you know th there's certainly ways that you can do that as well but hopefully it's given you a few ideas to help you get through the next few weeks and just really let us know what you're finding in your garden as well take yeah. some pictures whether it's on your phone or camera doesn't matter little videos let us know what you're finding in your garden over the next next couple of weeks because we'd be really interested yeah we can read them out or if you can do what graham did and um... You know, if you've got a half decent microphone, make a little recording and we'll, we'll happily play a few recordings from some listeners as well of what you've been seeing. So definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And you can always, you know, tweet us or share on our Facebook page any photos that you've been taken as well. And we'll, you know, we'll share those. It'll be like the UK Wildlife Podcast Garden Wildlife Hunt. Yeah. That's not as good as Big Garden Bird Watch that ran off a tongue, but there we go. No. <laughs> it was on the spot, it was on the spot. Yeah, on the spot, yeah, it's probably better than I could have done. It would have been podcast wouldn't it? Would have been what I would have So yeah, you've probably done better there. Yeah, so we've got one last question from Ollie MC, which was the username. And oh they first of all they said thank you for doing the podcast, really enjoying it. So thank you very much for that, Ollie. But the question was they're walking the dog on the twenty sixth looking for lizards and they found a big healthy grass snake curled up in the sun. And they asked, Isn't this a bit early? And could this be because of global warming, 
warm winter, etc. Well, it's actually the start of the grass snake season, so it's not that unusual. That said, I do believe there is a pattern of reptiles emerging earlier in recent years as the climate does warm. The answer is no and yes. I think I mentioned in a much earlier podcast, I had a lizard in the middle of January, which is fairly unusual. Reptiles are known to come out, especially adders, on warm days in winter. I haven't seen lizards since that one in January, but there's a lot of pheasants around there, so I do worry about them there. So to answer your question, not that unusual, but our reptiles are coming out earlier. I, I have actually. I mean, when I've when I've been out doing adder surveys, mm. you know, I, it's not uncommon to find grass snakes at you know one one or two particular sites that I survey. It's mm. not uncommon to see grass snakes in March. And by the sounds of it, by the time by the sounds of the description, it sounds like it was probably a female. Large um, one, yeah, you see it. A large one, and you know, I, I've actually seen a, a grass snake mating ball in mid-March before. So it's you know that was like there must have been fifteen plus snakes in that mating ball, and so it's not uncommon and i think we have actually had a very mild winter mm. and a very mild you know kind of late late winter early spring as well so you know keep an eye out um, on your dog walks because you never know you might actually see some more yeah and you're in the southwest as well i suppose so things are going to be slightly mm. earlier for you anyway yeah although this is on top of the mendip hills so i was, I was waiting for you to say that yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, i know i said that she's going to say it's on top of the hills yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that pretty much wraps up everything we wanted to cover on this podcast we're going to, like we said we're going to try and get a a few more out next month um depending on how we get on i'm hoping to get a special guest on for the next one i need to contact him first though that'd probably be a good idea <laughs> he would yes. yeah <laughs> i guess that's it from us oh thanks for listening stay safe take care and please do listen to the advice and and yeah you know don't go out unless you absolutely have to because it you know it definitely will benefit everyone in the long run indeed and enjoy the wildlife in your back garden or out your window yes. And for anyone that's not aware of my project, what I will do is I'll actually share the project as well. So yeah, you can, and that will hopefully give you a few more ideas of, of stuff to look out for in your garden. And if you really like the look of it, buy the book because Victoria won't sell it. It's terrible at selling herself. She's worse than me. So I am ter- I'm ter- terrible at selling myself. And unfortunately, I've actually seen three months worth of work completely cancelled. Mm. So yes, I'm trying to rearrange yeah. that right now. <laughs> buy the book buy the book buy the... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to do brainwashing maybe i can put a subliminal message in the bottom of the podcast yeah. high back or do you put a high frequency then i i haven't done that don't yes. worry i don't have a clue how to do it i believe it's probably illegal <laughs> <laughs> i think it might be yeah we yes. won't do that don't worry we'll just share the link so you can actually yeah. read about it yes i have a copy of the book and it is rather good so yes i've had some lovely messages this week actually people rediscovering the book and you know really really kind of enjoying it rediscovering it and now going out in their garden so you know it's fantastic so thank you for those people as well for letting me know that's what you've been doing yeah excellent right well see you next time guys take care look after yourselves bye bye